If you want to start turning there, you might want to get your finger in the book of Ephesians. I, for one, am excited for a new year. The year of 2022 was not always an easy one. And in this new year, I find it fitting that it worked out so perfectly and God has orchestrated things so perfectly that as we begin a new year, we begin a new book from the pulpit here. And we're going to begin a journey into one of my favorite letters in the New Testament, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And as is important to do when we read these books that we should all be aware were written to a specific people in a specific time, it's valuable for us to get some, some background. Where was this letter sent and to whom? The city of Ephesus was one of the greatest cities in the ancient world. We are to look on a map today, it would have been found in modern-day Turkey, and it was the Roman capital of Asia, and it was a center for everything that happened in that region. It didn't matter whether it was commercial or religious or political or otherwise, Ephesus was involved. Some historians estimate the population of Ephesus at the turn of the millennia to have been close to 250,000 people. And other historians say that number might be a little bit inflated. But either way, whether it's 250,000 or 200,000 or even 100,000, this was a huge and major center, even by today's standards, much less by the standards of the day. It was so great that it housed the temple of Artemis, known by the Romans as the temple of Diana, and known by us today as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So great was Ephesus that it held a temple to Roman and Greek gods that even to this day, we cannot even fathom how it was built and how beautiful it was. That also helps us to recognize that this was a city steeped in pagan theology. This was a city that needed Jesus. This was a city that needed training in the ways of righteousness. And this was a city that Paul was intimately familiar with when he wrote Ephesians. One of the beautiful things as we look at Scripture is that if you read the whole of Scripture, it starts to interpret itself. It starts to give you hints about other books. And one of the beautiful books for that is the book of Acts. The physician Luke wrote such a comprehensive book in the books of the Acts, and he talks about Paul. Luke records Paul's address to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. And Paul says there, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Paul had spent three years teaching in Ephesus. 
In another place in Acts, it talks about him spending two years teaching with a particular group. And elsewhere, it talks about three months before he had gone for three months and then left and then come back for another several years. But whether it was three solid years or two solid years with some other pieces interspersed in there, remember who Paul was. Paul was an apostle that traveled place to place teaching in various places around the ancient world. And for a traveling preacher, two years, three years, whatever you want to call it, that was a long time for Paul to spend in any one place. And Paul spent three years in Ephesus. And I've got to give God the credit and recognize the the wisdom in this that if I am going to be going to a people and to a nation and seeing my, my gospel spread in that area, going to the capital city with one of the greatest temples to a pegging God that the world has ever seen, it's probably a good place to get a good base built. And Paul did that. Except while being imprisoned, Paul didn't spend that long in very many other places. And if you're familiar with the New Testament, and if you're reading around Ephesians going forward, you'll likely notice that there's some significant similarities between the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians. They are sister books, sister letters, and cover many of the same things. But the difference in tone, the difference in the way that it appears to have been written, some of the words that have been used, as well as the similarities there, have led some to say, well, maybe Ephesians wasn't written by Paul at all. Maybe it was a pseudonymous work. Maybe it was one of Paul's students that kind of copied Paul's letters to the Colossians. There is no group in history that has been overly excited about plagiarism, and this and the early church was no different. There are things in Ephesians that are taken word for word from Colossians, and if the church were to get a letter that is, wait a second, that sounds a lot like what he wrote to the church in Colossae. The easier and likelier solution than a plagiarizing student is that the epistles of the Colossians and Ephesians were written likely in close proximity to each other. And as we look at Paul's history and what he did and where he did it, there is a good chance that these two letters were written at the same time during his two-year house arrest in Rome. There's another interesting tidbit that lends itself to this and surrounds a man named Tychius. Ephesians 6.21 says, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Colossians 4.7 says, Tychius will tell you about all of my activities, He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. And remember that 
this ancient world was not quite so quick that Paul could send out an overnight letter to one place and Tychius could take it from Rome to Colossae and then hop back and then take another one from Rome to Ephesus. Likely, Tychius was spending some time with Paul on his house arrest. Paul gave him a bundle of letters to take to a number of churches, and Colossians and Ephesians were two of those letters. And also, these letters were written to be heard. One thing we can likely assume about Tychius is that he would have been a skilled orator. Many people in those days didn't read, and if they did read, they didn't read overly well. And these letters would have been brought to the churches, and Tychius would have come with, with his manuscript from Paul and stood before the people and recited them. Oftentimes, they would memorize, these Greek orators would memorize these letters and recite them, and this would just be their manuscript that they kept in front of them so they can touch base on it as they go. So Tychius is sent out to speak these letters to these churches. Writing to both the Ephesians and the Colossians, Paul had many of the same things to say. But like I said, there is a difference in tone. Ephesians, for some reason, is much more general in nature, not as personal. In some of Paul's letters, you will get a real sense of, oh yeah, and remember when I talked with so-and-so, well, here's some stuff about that. He would bring in a lot of personal items in there, but Ephesians is not quite that way. And that's led some to also state that this letter was intended, yes, first for the church in Ephesus, but was also intended as a circular, sent to Ephesus and then meant to be forwarded from there to the surrounding cities. And like I said, giving credit to God for his strategy in distributing his gospel, if I'm going to send the truth of the gospel to a country, a letter written to the capital of that country and then distributed to the surrounding areas makes a lot of sense. And part of the, what gives that credence in my mind from, from the scriptures is in chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. He's talking to the saints in Ephesus. That would be a strange thing to say to a church that you had spent three years with. We can also be aware that it could have been as long as five years in between Paul's visit to Ephesus and when he writes this letter. But either way, this letter's audience seems to have included some people that Paul may have met and known, as well as many he hadn't met and ministered directly to, and that would lend itself to the slightly less familiar tone in this letter because it is written to some people that he hadn't met but he had heard about. He had a regular flow of people coming to him from the churches around the area kind of reporting on how things are going. As far as the letter itself is concerned, chapters 1 to 3 of our book of Ephesians 
is the section of the indicatives. It is laying the theological groundwork and restating many of the bedrock truths upon which the coming commands or imperatives that we would find in chapter 4 to 6 are based. So, as we preach through this book in chapters 1 to 3, you'll hear a lot of, this is who God is, this is what you believe, these are the ground bedrock truths. And a little bit less of the, so what? A little bit less of, okay, based on that, now go do X. But then when we get into 4 to 6, and there's some fuzziness as he transitions from chapter 3 into chapter 4, but proceeding from 4 to 6, you'll get more and more of, okay, now do this. Now live this way. Now be this way. I love reading Paul's letters and seeing his kind of evolution and as he builds his base and says, okay, now go. Overall, you can expect lots of talk of the gospel. Peace, love, faith, and grace from God in Christ. You'll hear much about the unity of the body in the book of the Ephesians. And that unity of the body is between Gentiles and Jews, people as different as different can be. And I think for us today, unity of the body is something that we are well aware is in great danger as we follow many different teachers and teachings and one person says this, another person says that. We need to find our unity in the body. We need to find our unity centered around what we can proclaim as true. Paul also talked much of the gifts given to God's people. Gifts intended for the building up of the church and how they are to be used and that they are to be used. We will not get through this book and be able to say, I can sit back and twiddle my thumbs. There will be a lot of, now go and do it. Much about the responsibilities of believers and the importance of both personal and corporate holiness. Another uncomfortable topic for today, and if it's uncomfortable, it's probably a good thing for us to hear. Well, that's a little bit of background but I don't want to spend an entire morning not diving into a piece of the passage. So this morning I thought we might look at the opening salutation, but we will also tag in the closing greeting of Paul's letter here. The opening salutation is found in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and then the closing in chapter 6, verses 23 and 24. And you'll see why I paired those two together. The opening salutation goes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The closing greeting carries some very similar themes and maybe expands on them a little bit but it says, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. 
So right off the top, you have Paul introducing himself. Paul, an apostle of Christ by the will of God. This letter from section Paul. But not Paul on his own behalf. It's not simply a letter from an incarcerated friend or teacher sent to a church that will one day be lost and forgotten. This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And this title of apostle would have meant something to the hearers of this letter. And it should also mean something to us this morning. Taken from Joel Beakey's Reformed Systematic Theology, talking about apostles, Beakey says, The chief instruments of God's new covenant revelation were the apostles. The Lord Jesus appointed apostles. They did not preach of themselves, but like the prophets of old, they spoke as the Spirit of God spoke in them. What they preached and wrote was the word of the Lord. The apostles were not appointed by men, but directly by Jesus Christ, from whom they received their doctrine by direct revelation. They were eyewitnesses of the risen Lord. You can see some important criteria there for who an apostle might be. But in modernity and some throughout the church history, some have falsely attempted to claim the title of apostle and the authority of an apostle. That authority being able to utter God's truth with holy authority. That would be the case with the Roman Catholics who claim apostolic succession for their bishops, saying their bishops have proceeded directly from the apostles and hold the same authority, and ultimately it becomes the basis for their doctrine of papal supremacy, where the Pope can speak the very word of God and it is to be taken as such. They view the Pope as a direct successor to the Apostle Peter, and thereby they view the Apostle Peter as the leader of the biblical apostles. So the Pope, being a successor of Peter, is the head of the whole church and able to speak with total authority. This is not the case. Think also of many others who throughout history have attempted to speak the word of the Lord. God has told me that. God has given me these golden tablets that. God has said that he wants us to. Yes. God has said that he wants us to. In here. This is what God has said to his people. I don't need a modern-day apostle to tell me what God has said. You don't need me to stand up here and tell you, God has told me to tell you this. My job is to stand up here and say, this is what God has said. I'm going to do my best to explain it. And if I differ or err from this, throw it out. It's garbage. 
Anything I have to say that differs from what is found in here, please feel free to throw it out and please feel free to let me know because I want to be faithful to the Word of God. I am not an apostle. I do not utter God's Word except when I read God's Word. Either way, Paul calls himself an apostle and when he does so, he is stating clearly to his audience that what is to come, this letter that he has written, is not simply Tychius reading the words of a good teacher. But these are the words of a man who has received directly from God, truth from God. So from Paul, the apostle. And two, the saints, particularly the saints in Ephesus. Again, we've done all sorts of gymnastics with the term saints, but we're not talking about revered church fathers and icons of the church that we are to worship in their own right. But clarified by Paul's own words, to those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. The term saint, to be a saint, is to be a holy one. And according to Paul also in 1 Corinthians 1, those who are in Christ Jesus are sanctified, made holy in him, and are called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is written from the apostle. This is God's word. To whom? To his people those who have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus and who have been saved. And in both our opening couple verses and that closing greeting, we get to a very brief summary of much of what this article has to say. Many of us have known the pain of reading, whether it's a book or a news article or a letter or whatever it might be, and had the pain of reading it and trying to kind of sift through and going, where, where is he going with this? Where you get to the end of the letter and you go, I need to read that again because I'm not sure what he's trying to say here. Paul does not leave his audience in the dark. These few verses beautifully sum up that which Paul the Apostle would deliver to his audience, the saints, on behalf of the Lord through Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. It's my prayer that by God's faithfulness, the breadth of these themes of grace, peace, and love, and faith from God through Jesus Christ will pervade our time in the letter to the Ephesians. And if we cling to the Scriptures, if we stay faithful to what Paul is saying here, I can't see how it will be anything but. We will hear over and over and over again these themes of grace, peace, love, and faith from God through Jesus. These things, 
grace, peace, love, faith. They are hallmarks of what it means to be truly Christian. And we are required to display these gifts. And although we will not display them perfectly, we should be expected to display them in increasing measure as we worship and grow in Christ. But these things are never about us, and they are never from us. I cannot drum up in myself true grace. I cannot drum up in myself true love and faith and peace. Because if I try to drum it up in myself, if I try to form from, from Josh to you love, I will form a poor, poor copy of the love that comes from our Father. Scriptures make clear that the human heart is many things, but good is not one of them. We are created in the image of God, and as such, we are created to display God's characteristics to the people around us. But in the fall, that ability has been marred. And when we try to display God's attributes, we display them poorly. Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Mark 7, from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Isaiah 64, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There's no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take a hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and you have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. The list of the wicked things that proceed from the heart of man read eerily similar to the list of the good things that we call gifts and fruits of the Spirit. But the gifts and the fruit of the flesh are evil and wicked. The grace, peace, love, and faith that Paul delivers to the Ephesians as the goals of his letter that these people would see these things growing in them are uniquely gift from God. I've enjoyed some time lately working through a biblical counseling course with Sherry and in one of the lectures, the speaker said that in all of his counseling sessions where there's conflict between two people and he has them both there, one of the things he does in the early sessions is he asks them, what are you wanting out of our interaction here? Whether it's friction between family members, whether it is marital counseling, whatever it might be, he asks this question, so what is your goal here as we meet together, the three of us. And he has said that every single time, one of the things that's come up on that list, I want peace. I just want peace. And our world wants peace. Our world doesn't really know what peace is yet. They know bits and pieces, but they know they want peace. 
looking at these other things that Paul talks about in this letter, our world wants grace and love. Whether they realize it or not, our world is desperate for the gifts that God would give his people. But they want to have their cake and eat it too. They want the gifts. They want peace, hope, love, joy, patience, kindness, all of these things. You take a look at most kind of philosophies out there, and that's what they're looking for. I want inner peace. I want to just be loving to everybody. I want to just have joy. Our world wants it. But they don't want any of the requirements that come with it. These gifts that God gives are not to be found in this world except as pale (coughs) and fading imitations. They are only to be found as gifts of God, granted to the saints who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. So what of us, the faithful in Christ? Think of yourself. Are you always and at all times filled with perfect grace, peace, love, and faith? I know my answer is a resounding no. By the time I've been awake for 15 minutes in the morning, I have already displayed how clearly I am not full of all of those things. But we're in good company. Paul says in Romans 7, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Every day, we wake up in the morning and we begin to do battle against our own sinful nature putting to death the things of the flesh. With Paul, we ask, who will deliver us from that battle? Will we ever find our rest? Will we ever be able to take hold of this grace and peace and love and faith that Paul is asking would be displayed amongst the Ephesians? Our deliverer is Christ. And the delivery from the trappings of our old lives is one of the great promises of our eternal hope and future. As we grow in faithfulness to Christ in this life, we are not going to avoid the difficulties and struggles of this life. Yesterday, I got to participate in one of the most heart-wrenching and beautiful services I have ever seen in the funeral of Beaumont. Grandchild to Tim and Denise. And it became so incredibly clear that there is no chance that we as believers are going to avoid the difficulties in this life. Think of the difficulties that have fallen faithful believers throughout this church. You only need to look around this church and in each family you can probably think back and go, I remember the time where this family experienced the tragedies that have gone on and that we have experienced within this church are immeasurable. 
We will not avoid the difficulties of this life as believers. We don't get to put on rose-colored glasses from the moment we confess Christ and just skate on through the rest of our lives. But as we grow in our faithfulness to Christ, we begin to see and know the grace, peace, love, and faith that God grants in spite of the difficulties that we face. Watching the incredible difficulty that our church has faced, I can't think of any situation where the goodness and grace of God is more apparent, more obvious than in the suffering of one of his people who is mature in the faith in Christ. When God's people suffer, the world expects us to just throw up our hands and say like Job, curse God and die. That's what our world expects because that's what our world would do. Our world wants grace, peace, love, faith, all of the good stuff, but when things go sideways, they say, God, I want none of that because you didn't protect me from this. But when God's people, when those who have truly placed their faith in Christ experience these incredible, difficult, hard, dark valleys to see the faith that they have placed in Christ blossom and grow and say, in all of these things, blessed be the name of the Lord. There is no clearer pronunciation of the gospel to the world because our world looks and goes, how can you say that? How can you say blessed be the name of the Lord when we can say it because our God is good? Our God is all of the things that the world wants from God and our God is building in us and giving to us love. Our God is giving to us peace when we have no peace of our own. Our God is giving to us the gift of faith when we have no faith left to give. Our God is giving to us all of the fruits of the Holy Spirit that we cannot drum up in ourselves. That is what it means to follow our Lord. To throw up our hands and say, we can't do this, but God, you have done this. Paul talked in 2 Corinthians 12 about the thorn given to him in his flesh. And he pleaded with God, please just take this thorn in the flesh away. We don't know what it was, but God knows. And God said, no. He said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insult, hardships, persecutions, calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Not in his own strength, but in the strength that the Lord provides. Paul had learned to be content in his weaknesses and in those moments where he struggled or faced difficulty. And in those moments, his faith shone all the more clearly as it was 
a gift from God. As we close this morning, I want to remind us that the very one that we share in common, the very one around whom we have communion, that being Christ, is the source of anything truly good and worthwhile that we have in this life. And if we find anything good that does not find its source in Christ, we have found a pretender. That if we follow it far enough, it will show its true colors. If we have followed Christ, then we have found what is good. And if we follow Christ as we grow closer to him, as we cast our cares upon him, as we believe in him, as we come to know him through his word, though we may face the same and sometimes even more trials and hardships than the rest of the world, he will prove himself to be strong. He will grant us the good gifts that he gives to those who have trusted in him in faith. In our weakness, he is strong. And the more that we humble ourselves and recognize how weak we are, the stronger he can be in us. So stop relying on your own strength. Stop trying to have it all together. Stop trying to put on a good face and just buck up and do it yourself and cast your cares upon Jesus and say, I can't do this. Cling to Christ this morning, brothers and sisters. Cling to him and depend on him for the good gifts that only he can give. And I say all that knowing that there are likely those here or likely those who will hear this online who have not done so, who have not known Christ, who have not confessed him as their Lord and Savior. And to those who are in that boat, I say, if you seek peace, if you seek love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, faith, if you seek any of the good gifts, any of the good things that you see in our life, if you seek that in this world, you will not find it except in pale substitutions that will fail you. But if you seek those things, if you seek Christ first, if you seek God first, then all of those things will be added unto you. Not meaning things will be easy, not meaning things that you will not face hardship, but meaning that as you face those things, you face them with the gifts that God provides. For he has told us that he will give us way more than we can handle on our own. But he will not give us more than we can handle with the help of the one who he has given us. The Lord will grant freely his gifts to those who would ask of him in the name of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we come before you and ask you 
for the good gifts that you would give your people. You know where each of us are in our hearts and in our lives and in our struggles and in our trials and in our joys. You know where we are. You know what we're experiencing. And we would ask as a church that you would grant the good gifts by your Son, Jesus Christ, for us to live in a way that glorifies you even where we are. If we are living in a part of our lives that is joy-filled, Lord, give us the grace to give you the glory for the joys that we are experiencing. Lord, if we are living down in the valley and there is darkness all around us, give us the gift of faith that we might cling to you. Give us the gift of peace that our hearts might see the comfort that can come only from you. And Lord, we ask your forgiveness for the times where we have sought those gifts elsewhere. We ask that you would forgive us for the times where we have called upon the cheap things of this world to fill a hole in our hearts that can only be filled by you. And Lord, I would pray that those who hear this, who have not confessed you, who do not know you truly as their Lord and Savior, that they would do so. That they might see what it means to have real peace, to have real faith, to have real joy, real hope. Lord, we thank you that we do not do any of these things alone, that we do not face this life alone, that we face this with a mediator who is in heaven interceding for us, that we face these things with a comforter and a guide who you have given to us in the Holy Spirit, and that we face these things with a church that you have ordained, that you have placed here on this earth to be your hands and feet, to walk out these comforts and these gospel opportunities to our brothers and sisters and to the world around us. Lord, may we share the hope that we have by the actions and the way that we live. May we share the hope that we have with our words when we are given the opportunities, and may we make the opportunities. And Lord, in all of these things, let us not exchange the gifts for the gift giver. Lord, I ask that we would be able to pursue you, pursue knowing you, pursue our relationship with you, and as we do so, that we would see these things added to us. That you would not be an ends to a means, but that you would be the end of all our hope and faith. And that you would accomplish those means by us. Lord, we thank you for your word, for the truths contained therein, and we pray your blessing on our time in the epistle to the Ephesians, that you would equip your saints by your holy word. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.